Welcome to Timberline Windsor. Thanks for joining us this weekend. We are a church family that strives to let love live in every facet of our lives. We at Timberline Windsor desire everyone, every man, woman, and child that calls this church family home to be a part of Connections. To join one today, visit our website or download the Timberline app. Enjoy today's message. He's a beggar. You might have seen him there in that same old place that he he never departs from. He's always there, never really raising his eyes up to make eye contact. But, But if you've seen his eyes, you know that that's because he's got this glazed, filmy, look over his eyeballs, he's blind. He calls out from time to time to people just for any kind of help, any kind of handout, any kind of support that they might be able to give him. Some respond, most don't. He's blind. He's a beggar. Most people would say he's, he's desperate. He's helpless. He's hopeless labels. You and I so easily label people. It's just easier that way. Republican, Democrat, poor, rich, successful, struggling, pastor, unbeliever, gay, straight, mixed. It's just easier. And honestly, labels aren't inherently wrong. They can help us know something about another person. Labels aren't bad in and of themselves. Unless we just stop there. Unless all we give someone is a label and they're only that one thing. One of the absolute hardest things about engaging within the foster care system, which by the way, so many people in this church family continue to do so well. But one of the hardest things when you're engaging in the foster care system is to suspend prejudice. And thank God that he doesn't do that with us. See us and take us at one of the hardest, most challenging, most difficult parts of our life and ascribe a indefinite label to us based on that. The worst days And that's where our label comes from. So the mom that has struggled to provide a healthy, safe environment for her child isn't just the struggling mom. She has a name. She has a story. In fact, she has a good story as long as she still has breath. And of all the people that should recognize the goodness of that story and help her align her life just a little bit more to that intended story, it should be the people of God that call ourselves by his name. It's like Dr. Jerry Root shared a couple of weeks ago, the difference between going from my garbage guy to Mike. It's the difference between a label and someone with a story. It's transformational the way that little change can impact a relationship. Stories, not labels. And it's so hard, it doesn't come naturally. 
There are some of us, myself included, that will hear this and maybe even smile and nod and go, that's so true. Everybody's, everybody's got a story. And then just hours from now, whether intentionally or unintentionally, we'll find ourselves reverting back to label making with our neighbor or the person that we see driving with that bumper sticker or the blind beggar on the side of the road. So let me introduce the topic, the first passage title that that I encountered over this weekend's message. We're finishing off Mark chapter 10. If you've got Bibles or Bible apps, go ahead and open Mark chapter 10, verse 46. But I want to share the the title of the section that we're going to be talking about, because by the way, uh, titles of passages like this and chapter breaks and numbers and all that, that wasn't a part of the original scripture. That was added later kind of for our reference and ease of navigation. But, but when you see the title of a passage like Jesus heals blind man, that, that part's not scripture. That part's added later for our reference. So when I first looked at the title of this particular passage, it simply read, Jesus heals blind beggar. And I thought, great. We get to encounter the wonder-working, awesome power of God meeting a likely desperate and downtrodden man. And there's there's label-making all over that kind of thinking that I had there. Jesus heals blind beggar. But for someone, this story would be called Jesus heals me. Or for a man named Timaeus, this would be called, Jesus healed my son. Or as I'll excitedly show a little bit later, an entire church family in the early church would one day say, this is the story where Jesus changed the entire life trajectory of our best friend Bartimaeus. See stories, not labels. Bartimaeus had a story. So much so that here we are 2,000 years later and we know his name. Think people 2,000 years from now are gonna remember your name and be talking about you? Not mine. But this isn't just about fame and a certain place in history. This is about intimacy. This is about uniquely the day that his life changed. And it's a recognition before, I know we haven't even cracked the Bible yet, but it's a recognition just by looking at the title of this section that every single person has a story. You have a unique story. The person next to you has a unique story. And no one is like another. Like Dwayne that we heard from earlier, there's a story there. And the people of God are blessed when they hear it. So here's here's the next outline point. Striving to see stories is an antidote to prejudice and an incubator for grace. Let me say that again and say it a little slower. Striving to see stories is the antidote to prejudice and an incubator of grace. 
In Matthew 10, Jesus taught that even the very hairs on your head are numbered. Uniquely, personally, precise numbers. And I know for some of us that cumulative number is a little bit higher than others, but don't worry, follically challenged people, it's a metaphor. (laughs) But he says this to underscore the intimate, unique way that God does not just know your name. Right there, for the God of the universe to know your name is mind-blowing. But he's going, oh, the God of the universe doesn't just know your name. The God of the universe doesn't just know what's going on in your life and care about your life. The God of the universe knows every hair on your head, knows every little detail about your life, and he loves you. That's amazing. And if we can strive to see that about ourselves, that's how well God knows me. And I can accept that. It's leaning into promises like my life psalm, Psalm 139 proclaims, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. When we even try to see that about ourselves, that we have unique, intimate value, and then we can try to see that about other people, that's where we're going to try to start to be curious about their stories. We're going to suspend even just a little bit from determining prejudices. And we'll be curious about their stories, which in turn starts to develop Christ-like grace. We'll at least start to see people like he did. Like Jesus saw Bartimaeus. And so with the world's longest introduction, I'm ready to dive into the passage. Here we go. Chapter 10, verse 46. And they, Jesus and his disciples, came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Label making. For most people in this crowd, this is, this is the, the pinnacle of the Jesus tour. Jesus' fame and popularity will never be bigger than it is right now. You know how I know that? Look what's next in the Gospel of Mark. Take a, take a quick sneak peek. After this passage ends, we dive into passage, or chapter 11, the triumphal entry. Jesus entering Jerusalem, Palm Sunday, Hosanna. This is the biggest point of fame in the Jesus tour. We have no time for all the beggars and all the blind people that keep coming to Jesus and they want him to heal them. We got no time for that. We got business here. But Bartimaeus isn't going to let the prejudice of the crowd keep him from Jesus. This is the 
Jesus that he's heard so much about. By the way, like us, Bartimaeus only knew what he knew about Jesus by hearing, not by sight. Son of David, he kept calling out. It's a label, all right, but applying this particular label to Jesus shows us something about how blind Bartimaeus is viewing Jesus, how he sees them. Because son of David is quite the title for a first century Jewish person to ascribe to a man. You're essentially connecting the eschatological promised figure of God, the son of God, the one who will come and liberate all of the people of God for all of time and will rescue and redeem the poor and the oppressed. That's what you're calling this man. Apparently, Bartimaeus is holding fast to Hebrew beliefs that are drawn from passages like Isaiah 11 that said, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, that'd be David's father, with righteousness he shall judge, see, and discern the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. In other words, he sees you poor and desperate and needy, and he is your advocate. And Psalm 72, Bartimaeus would have held fast to this one. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son, this son of David, for he delivers the needy when the needy calls. And he delivers the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. You think every night Bartimaeus went to bed in this desperate, helpless condition, leaning against the wall of the city, he cried out, God, do you see me? I have heard these promises. You have promised this, that you will look down and see the needy and the poor. Do you see me, God? Have pity on me. You have said you will help the poor when they cry out to you. Here I am. Save my life. The same kind of calls he would shout out from his huddled, begging position as as the clamor of the crowd made it clear that it was Jesus of Nazareth that was walking by. Save me, son of David. Have mercy on me. And see, Bartimaeus isn't just viewing Jesus as this miracle worker. Bartimaeus is not just saying, heal me. He views Jesus as so much more than a miracle worker. Bartimaeus views Jesus as the son of David. Not just a representative of God, but God's fulfilled promise to free his people, to see his people. This man was the son of David to Bartimaeus. The promise and the reality of God come in the flesh for the pitiful and the poor. Those are... Those are labels, too, that describe people like Bartimaeus, but it's, it's almost ironic in the way that Scripture says God will meet those with labels, but he's going to do it in such a way that he comes into your story intimately and personally. So let's see what Jesus thinks about all this. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. 
I get like spiritual whiplash with, with the change from the crowd in their posture towards this man, right? Oh, now he's worth acknowledging, right? Just moments before as you pass by him and he cried out, shut up, nobody's got time for you. Keep quiet. And once Jesus stops and acknowledges him, hey, buddy, it's your day. Congratulations. Get up. He's, he's calling you. So now he matters. Now that he's somehow a part of the story and not just a blind man, a label. It kind of reminds me of some of those undercover boss TV shows. Have you ever seen these where, where the boss of a company kind of disguises himself and, and enters into a situation to see how will they treat me when they don't know that I, who I am? They don't know my story and I'm just a customer. Usually the results aren't all that good, are they? And they weren't good here with Bartimaeus. While the blind beggar was just a nuisance, they had no time for him. Once Jesus calls him, He's all of a sudden the man of the hour. As long as we just see labels, we don't need to get dirty with other people's stories. We don't need to worry about the intricacies of how they got there, how they're reacting. We don't need to worry about the struggling single mom or the angry drunk neighbor or the awkward classmate. As long as we don't get curious about their story, we don't have to get our hands dirty in extending grace. We're gonna keep going on, on that as we continue. Verse 50. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go on your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Blind Bartimaeus, before he was ever healed, saw Jesus. Like no one in that crowd, and even honestly, like the disciples, haven't been clearly seeing Jesus. The blind man is the rare one that could see Jesus in faith. The author, Mark, is doing this masterful thing here on a much bigger scale than just storytelling. So I want us to, to zoom out for just a bit. If you're a note taker in your Bibles, make sure right next to this to write Mark 8, verses 22 through 26. Because there's this section in Mark where in Mark 8, 22 through 26, you have Jesus healing a blind man. Okay, Mark 8, 22 through 26. And then after that, Jesus is three times, we enter into this section where Jesus is three times unpacking and revealing for his disciples what I've called Jesus 201 in previous sermons, where he is taking them deeper into what it really means for him to be the Messiah, that he's going to suffer and die and raise again. And then here, chapter 10, verses 46 through 52, Jesus heals a blind man. Blind healing, thrice taking his disciples deeper beyond how they're seeing him to his deepest purpose as the Messiah, and then blind healing. Meaning what? 
just like Jesus is physically healing people of their blindness, he is also miraculously healing his disciples of their missional blindness. They need to know who he really is and what he really came to do. And the disciples, they're resisting it. They're not getting it. Like you and I, they're taking one step forward, two steps back oftentimes. But thank God they're not defined by labels of their worst days, of their spiritual blindness. They are not defined by their worst days and neither are we. Because Mark knows that even though he gets to the end of his gospel and these disciples still haven't gotten it, Mark knows, oh, they will. Oh, these disciples, they get remarkably, miraculously healed of their missional blindness. And I know I'm kind of cheating and fast-forwarding a bit through the end, but spoiler alert, Jesus conquers death and wins. And his church bursts forth into the world with a message that will change the world. And rather than a political Messiah that comes to topple systems, like the disciples were all expecting, Jesus heals them of that missional blindness. That's what you thought I came for. Just read the book of Acts and the other epistles to see, well, what happens when these disciples finally see? They're miraculously healed of their blindness. Read Acts, read the rest of the New Testament. It's remarkable how these guys go into the world with a new understanding of who Jesus really is. That happens. But right here, right where we're at in Mark, with their infighting, they're struggling to see and accept Jesus. Let me ask this question. It's the next outline point. How does this newest disciple's understanding of Jesus as Messiah compare to the other disciples? Let's view it like a thought bubble thing, like thought bubbles coming out from the disciples. How do they see Jesus as the Messiah? He's a Rome-conquering, slashing political savior, fighting his way through the pagan establishment, toppling systems. That's who the Messiah is. But see, God's done that before. God has toppled systems and demolished armies before. And the enemy does not need a political nation state in order to topple people's lives. The enemy will use that if, if it can get it. The enemy's pretty darn good at toppling lives through all kinds of societal patterns that, that we choose. And so that's why God's plan for the Messiah is bigger than just toppling systems. It's transforming stories from the inside out. And so thought bubbles from the disciples is, is Jesus is a political savior. What are the thought bubbles coming from Bartimaeus? They find the Messiah reaching down to the downcast, changing the trajectories of their lives forever. The Messiah is the one that will see and transform people of God from the inside out. Rather than toppling systems, the Messiah is transforming stories. And it's what he's doing still especially at work, in the downcast, the vulnerable, the labeled of society. Why? 
Why does God so often choose to work through the weak? Because in our weakness, what does scripture tell us? Those of you that know, he is proved strong. All of this proves that God's heart is bent towards those desperate in need of help. And he's opposed to the proud that think they have no need for him. Catch this. This is, this is shocking, maybe even scandalous, that, that God is more conducive to his kingdom at work in a heart that's open to whatever you have for me, even if that heart is found begging alongside of the road. And he proves himself completely inconducive to the life that has no time for him, even if that life is found in the church. This is the meaning behind verses in the Bible that make it clear that God is no respecter of persons, Acts 10, 34, or that his strength is made perfect in our weakness, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Or that God does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at outward appearance. God looks at the heart. For Samuel 16, 7. If only we could see Jesus the way blind Bartimaeus did. If only the disciples could see Jesus' purpose the way Bartimaeus did. They will. They'll get there. They are being miraculously healed of their blindness. And church, I pray that over us too. I pray that we would truly, fully let the scales fall from our eyes in who we think Jesus is, what we think it means that he's calling us to and say, whatever your will is, your Lord. Jesus responded to Bartimaeus' faith and allowed him to go on your way, as he said it. And for most people, perhaps even most grateful believers, that'd be it. We would get healed of what was holding us back and we would rise up and we would hop, skip, and jump, give Jesus a big hug, say thank you, and when he said go on your way, we would joyfully enter into the excitement of a new life, right? With the permission of Jesus. But what does Bartimaeus do? There's a uniqueness to his response, especially where it's placed in Mark's gospel. He didn't just go on his way. He didn't just take an improved life and an exciting future. I'm sure the waffling people of the crowd upon seeing Bartimaeus as Jesus' most recent miracle would say, good for you. He did it. You're Jesus's newest miracle. Now get up and you have a future. But Bartimaeus wasn't interested in just going on his new way. He opted for more. Bartimaeus was willing to follow Jesus, even if it meant changing the entire trajectory of his life. And not just that, Bartimaeus got up and followed Jesus, pay attention to this, to Jerusalem. That's the next stop on the Jesus tour. It's the final stop on the Jesus tour. And so when Mark names this guy, 
not only Bartimaeus, but Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, it tells us that for his original readers, for the people that would first receive Mark's gospel, this man was known. You don't include details like that if it matters to nobody, but he's saying, hey, this was the day our buddy Bartimaeus followed Jesus into Jerusalem. And here he is years later in the midst of the life of the local church. He's still with us. We know that Bartimaeus was entering not an exciting future, but the most challenging season of his life he would ever face. That's what Jesus called him to, Jerusalem. (laughs) He had the option. Jesus said, go on your way. You're, You're free, you're healed. He had the option of leaving. And what did he do? He followed Jesus. And maybe you're going, well, he didn't know it was to Jerusalem. Yeah, this is why God never tells us what damaging, suffering, struggling path we're about to enter. What does he say? Follow All you need to know. Follow me. And as we heard earlier, as we sang about earlier, I'm with you the whole way. So as far as outline points go, I want to share this last question. How does this newest disciple's response compare to yours? Does the path of following Jesus, what we call discipleship, Does that need to be attractive in order for you to be convinced to follow it? Are there conditions to your followership, your serving, your participation, your giving? As long as it doesn't cost too much or interrupt my values too much, then I'll follow. As long as it's safe. I am challenged by Bartimaeus' followership. I am inspired by this great example of faith. Placed right here at one of the most pivotal points in the whole gospel was the account of this dear friend of the local church, his rise to discipleship. He no longer is the blind beggar. This was the day his life changed forever. His trajectory changed forever. His was a story, and a really good one. Does that kind of response to Jesus resemble yours? In serving, in giving, in whatever it is God is calling you to, does your response to Jesus resemble Bartimaeus's? Do you want it to? I'm asking the power of God to do a couple of miraculous things this week and among this church family. Miraculous means only by his power. First, I'm asking God to heal spiritual blindness. That's not a label, it's a condition that God can heal you from if you're willing, if you're open to it. I can't do that. I can't heal your spiritual blindness. Your willpower can't do that. The power of God alone can do that and he desires to do that. So the only question is, am I open to it? Are you open to it? Might there be stories of people in our midst that say, this was the day, this was the moment that I allowed God 
to heal me of blindness to what it is he's calling me to and relinquish control of my life to him. If he's really Lord and I see that he's really Lord, I have no other option to respond in giving my life wholeheartedly. God, I ask that you would heal blindness of every soul that is open to it. I ask that we would truly see by your power who you are and what you're calling us to and where you're leading us. And secondly, what if an openness to the healing of the spirit today would profoundly change the trajectory of your life? (laughs) This wasn't just a tweak in the day of the life of Bartimaeus, was it? This was the day everything changed. His life, downtrodden, desperate beggar, was headed this way from here on. His entire life changed. What if this is that day for you? If that's the case, I want to invite you to consider what you heard about earlier as just an announcement in baptism. Baptism can be the pointed opportunity that you have in your life if you have either never responded in baptism or you're responding to Jesus for the first time to say, this is my Bartimaeus-like moment. I don't know where it is that God's calling me, but I see his goodness. I see him as the son of David. I see him as the one that comes to me and accepts me and embraces me. And if that's where you're at and you want to make a statement that this church celebrates like the early church 2,000 years ago would celebrate the story of Bartimaeus, I would love for us to celebrate stories of life trajectory changes through baptism. So don't view next Sunday's class as merely an announcement and two weeks from now as merely just, this is when we do baptisms. We get to celebrate stories. Stories of God's magnificent love for his people. We hope you encountered the love and power of Jesus in today's service. If you're interested in giving, For joining serving opportunities and much more, visit TimberlineChurch.org slash connect. Have a great week. Go be the church and let love live.